Let us bless the Lord and all that is within us, bless his holy name. For as heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us, those who fear him. Relying on that love of God, let us pray our confession together. Almighty God, in raising Jesus from the grave, you shatter the power of sin and death. We confess that we remain captive to doubt that fear, bound by the ways that lead to death. We overlook the poor and the hungry and pass by those who mourn. We are deaf to the cries of the oppressed and indifferent to call for peace. We despise the weak and abuse the earth you made. Forgive us, God of mercy, Help us to trust your power to change our lives and make us new, that we may know the joy of life abundant given in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As far as the east is from the west, so far does our Lord remove our transgressions from us. Friends, hear the good news As forgiven believers, let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now greet one another in Christ's name.
Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so glad you're with us this morning and this beautiful spring morning. We are thankful that uh, the good Lord has given us this place where we can gather and to worship God and to be about wondering what God would have us be about in the world. And we encourage you to uh, seek out those who are nearby to welcome them, especially after our worship service today. You can probably find their name in the friendship pad, which I'm now telling you to pass along to your neighbor. and. Uh, note those folks who are sitting near you as they sign their names, and we hope that you will uh, continue your conversation after our service underneath the tree. Those of you who sponsored our students uh, in our student ministry, especially as they prepare to go on their summer trips this summer, uh, are invited to go out afterwards underneath the tree as well to pick up a student bookmark. That will be a wonderful way for you to remember how you can be praying for our students as they continue through the rest of their school year and into the summer. So if you uh, have sponsored our students in the student ministry, we would invite you to go over and uh, get a bookmark after uh, worship today. We also have the blood bank available for you uh, today. We heard a couple weeks ago a great compelling message about uh, this great opportunity to serve our community by giving blood. So uh, you will probably discover that you are a candidate, even though you may not think you are. So uh, we invite you to uh, find the blood mobile out in the parking lot after the service and uh, take that precious time to give that precious gift to uh, those who will need it uh, very shortly. We have a wonderful ministry here at Church of the Palms called Back to Basics Tutoring. And uh, it is a great encouraging thing to see as we uh, look into the Campus Center on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The Campus Center is full, wall to wall, uh, with tutors who are tutoring children uh, throughout our community of all ages from uh, early grade school all the way to early college. Uh, we reach out to all those people who are struggling with their, their academic work and need the encouragement of someone who's willing to donate their time to help uh, a child to acquire a skill that they may not be able to otherwise. It is just a great ministry of our church. Judy Armitage is the leader of this ministry. Where are you, Judy? She's way back there handing out uh, boutonnieres. So uh, thank you, thank you, Judy. Would you give her a round of applause for her great ministry here? We tutor about 250 children throughout the course of the year here at Church of the Palms, and that's done by uh, over 200 tutors who are listed in your bulletin on pages six and seven. You'll see those names of all the people, including even some of our students here at Church of the Palms are providing tutoring for other students. And it is a great thing. And I know many of you here today are tutors and we just want you to stand so that we can recognize you and say thank you on behalf of Church of the Palms for this very valuable ministry that you perform. Don't be humble, stand. We are grateful and we look forward to reaching many, many more children over the course of the years through this very valuable ministry. We are now going to proceed to the ordination of our uh, elders and deacons. We are, in the, we are today going to be ordaining uh, four elders and about 9,000 deacons. <laughs> <coughs> 
It's actually almost 200 deacons that we're going to be ordaining and installing today. So I'm going to ask the four elders to come forward so that they can at least, you know, not get too overwhelmed by all these deacons. Come here to the center of the, of the chancel. And then following them, I invite the rest of the deacons to come up and make your way up here to the front as close as you can. If you can't, just stand in the aisle. If you can't even get to the aisle, just stand where you are. So if you could just all make your way up here, we would be grateful. That's our deacons and shepherding deacons. This may be one of those days where more people are ordained than not. <laughs> Come on up as close as you can. Isn't this a wonderful thing? These are all people being called into the ministry and service as deacons, shepherding deacons here at Church of the Palms. Wow. And then close behind you will need to be those who are presently serving as deacons and elders. Stand where you are. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I get the opportunity to ask you the questions of ordination and installation as you come forward to be ordained and installed. And uh, as you, after you respond to them, we will lay hands upon you as you become uh, our newest elders and deacons here at Church of the Palms. So would you please respond to these questions? Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and God's word to you, do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God, do you? Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world, will you? And do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church, do you? And will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, will you? And those to be ordained and installed as elders, will you be a faithful elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? And will you share in government and discipline, serving in governing bodies of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And now to the rest of you, the deacons. Will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? 
Will you? to the praying and laying on of hands, I invite you all to just reach out your our hand and put it on the shoulder of those who are in front of you or beside you as we come and pray for the Holy Spirit to be upon you all as you are ordained and installed as deacons and elders of Church of the Palms. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we rejoice and give thanks. We rejoice and give thanks that we are a church where so many have stepped forward to serve you. Tutors who have responded to give of their time and energy to take care of children who are struggling in school. Elders who have responded to your call to serve as spiritual leaders in our congregation, governing us and helping us to live more and more into our mission of equipping disciples for the service of Christ. Deacons, shepherding deacons who have responded to your call to reach out and care for our congregation and for those who are struggling with particular needs, leading us in a ministry of compassion and of concern. Lord, we rejoice that you empower us through your Holy Spirit to do these things and you give us the gifts that we need to carry out this important work in the life of our church and more importantly, in the life of our community. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you will endow these people with your Holy Spirit, fill them, inspire them, encourage them, give them what they need to be about the work that you have called them to. And Lord, most of all, may they follow your son, Jesus. May they see him clearly within their view and that they may faithfully follow the him as we seek to faithfully follow them. Lord, we thank you for this moment in the life of our church and pray that you will continue to embolden us as the people of God as we seek to serve the world. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. amen. <coughs> I would like to be able to greet you all, <laughs> but God bless you as you carry out this ministry, amen. What a wonderful sight to see all those committed to uh, Christ through this particular ministry. Thank you all. Let's give thanksgiving to God, not only for them, but for his presence in our prayer this morning. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We're so thankful for this privilege of meeting together as your people to worship and honor you and be in fellowship with each other as well as you. We do want to live our lives worthy of serving you, and that's one of the reasons we're here today. We need you, Lord, and we want your presence and your guidance not only here, but out there in our everyday lives. We want to portray your spirit every day. So, Lord, as you look down on the inside of each of us, we know that you can see all the things that are there that no one else can see. Forgive us. We pray in those areas that have failed you. And Lord, minister especially to those who are carrying heavy burdens, who have hurts and disappointments, 
and betrayals hidden deep in their hearts, some that they cannot even share. But you know all about it. You share every heartache and care. <clears throat> so please help each one of us there in the deep recesses of our own hearts and minds and emotions to reach out to you because you're already reaching out to us and we want you to meet our deepest needs as you do. Though we're all different, Lord, you do understand us and you give us the assurance of your loving presence. Thank you that you're always there and we can depend upon you. We do express our concern about the conditions and volatile situations around the world and even what we have faced this past week in Boston. We pray for the victims that have been harmed and also for those who envision harming other people. As Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle, so we pray that these perpetrators and their hearts would be changed to an encounter with you. We pray for our president and the men and women of the cabinet and Congress and understanding that can come from you, we pray will be in their minds. We pray for the men and women in the courts of our land that they might be under the influence of your spirit in their deliberations. We pray for our troops around the world as they continue to work for freedom and justice. We pray for their safety and protection and success in their mission with your help and direction. We do pray for our own community, not only those who are doing well, but those who are hungry, abused, and addicted. Lord, we constantly need a revival that will change people's hearts and make a difference in the places where we live and we hope and pray that we can be an instrument of that. We pray for Pastor Steve as he speaks to us this morning and communicates the things that you have directed him to. Help us to be willing hearers and to be obedient to your voice. We pray all this with thanksgiving in the powerful name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass and give us to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now we'll ask the ushers to come forward to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord.
We thank you, Lord, for these beautiful buildings, for the people who keep all of them running, and we thank you for the wonderful sense of those who have volunteered today to give of their time as well as their resources. We thank you for the joy of giving that increasingly envelops this church and pray that by your spirit will be used for the cause that you want. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now here comes our troop of children. We are coming down the aisle. Any kids want to come down and join us? We would love for you to come up and hear the children's moment, and then we'll head off to kids' worship after we're done with this. We are coming off of a really exciting weekend. Jim Morris, Chris Mason, and myself took 17 third to fifth graders to Cedar Kirk for a 24-hour retreat. It felt like we were there about a week, but I'm told it was only... Good morning, and I just love that some of my campers made it here this morning. We did not get a lot of sleep. Excellent. So we are continuing our conversation about friendship, and this time it's about how the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, and he said, friends, serve one another. And I think sometimes as kids we think only these big guys out here can serve, but I'm going to tell you a story about kids serving because of this hat. Our friend Catherine was going zip lining, and when you go zip lining, you clip yourself into this harness, and you zip across the river, and then you go up the river, and then you zip back across the river, and then you're safe. Well, guess what? Catherine wore her very favorite hat when she zipped across the river, which wouldn't have been a problem, except Catherine's kind of an expert, and she turned upside down, and off goes her hat into the river. Craziest thing, you'd go, well, why would a girl do that? It's like her second thick skin. She didn't even remember that she had it on. But you could tell how sad she was that she lost her hat. And immediately, everybody in our group volunteered to jump in the river to get her hat. First time that they were going to see some service, and then the adults are like, no, 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 that's not too safe. Second thing that happened, two of her best friends from her cabin just sat with her. One of them patted her on the back, one of them just said, it'll be okay, Catherine. And guess what? The other two quickly zipped across the river, found our main camp counselor. Now i got to tell you about Ray. Ray just graduated from college. He has crazy hair, like crazy hair with his headband. He's got tattoos on his calves. He's got tattoos on his arms. This guy smiles all the time. He's been leading us in worship. So those girls knew that he loved God. But you know what I think they also knew? That he's probably crazy enough that he would actually jump in the river and get her hat. And guess what? He was. He goes, I'll do it, but you guys have to be able to see the hat. I'm telling you, I could not see that hat. Now, some of these kids claim they could see the hat. I could not see the hat. And I go, Ray is not going to jump in that river to get that hat because he can't see it. Well, you know what happened? A canoe came by with strangers, a man and a kid. And our kids go, we'll ask them to get the hat. And I'm like, people, they are not going to stop and get the hat. They don't know Catherine. They don't know how much she loves this hat. And guess what? They kind of looked, and then they just sailed on by. Then another canoe came, and the kids are going, We'll ask them. And I'm like, there's no way the second canoe is going to stop and get in that water to get this hat. And you know what? They stopped, and it looked like they were going by. They turned their canoe around, 
And the kid in the front of the boat is with his oar, and he picks up the hat from the bottom of the river on the oar, and they toss it up to Catherine, and everybody cheers. Imagine if we all tried to serve each other, both our friends and our strangers, the way our kids at that camp did yesterday. And then someone would ask us, why would you do that? And we would say, because I follow Jesus, and this is what Jesus would do. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunities to serve others and to serve others in your name. We ask that you open our eyes just so that we can see and give us courage to act, always giving the glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, let's go. Will you watch the end?
be seated. Our scripture this morning is from the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, beginning at the 36th verse. We are continuing in our series on the mission of the church, what is the purpose and mission of the church, and looking at various stories in the Acts of the Apostles, and we find ourselves here at the end of chapter 9 of Acts. Hear the word of God. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. And she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. And at that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with him. And Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. And he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We are grateful, O Lord, that there is a balm in Gilead. We ask, O Lord, that these words would simply point to this word just read, that it true may prove through your spirit to be a balm for our souls, that we may know that there is a God who loves us. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. There are some stories that won't stop being told. There are some stories that won't stop being told. One never knows what all is going to happen between any two particular Sundays. Most of us were here worshiping last Sunday, and when the service was over, we made our way into the world to do the things that we we're planning to do for this week. We did not know that the following day we would see news alerts come across our televisions and smartphones telling us the sad news that bombs had been detonated at the finish line at the Boston Marathon. Two days later, we got more bad news of the terrible plant explosion in West Texas. The magnitude of these two events and the continued coverage of them was almost too much to comprehend and internalize. Many of us remain peeled at our TVs later this week, watching especially the hot pursuit of these criminal terrorists and the fear that struck at the heart of a great American city. Each of these events will be etched deeply into the history of these towns. The Boston Marathon of 2013 will take its place alongside the midnight ride of Paul Revere. 
and yet more enduring than the headlines, because the headlines will soon go away, will be the stories that people will tell of what these events meant to them, the human stories, the I was there stories, the personal accounts. Strange how it goes. Every tragedy has its timeline, has its sequence of events, but all that eventually fades away, gets lost in time, and what becomes more historical, far more lasting, are the stories, the life-changing stories that help us to see how much we needed each other back then. You saw how those Watertown residents came pouring out of their houses after the crisis was over, and what were they doing? They were celebrating and also telling to each other their own stories of how glad they were safe, how glad they had each other, how much they needed each other. It won't take long to forget the names of the perpetrators, but if you were standing at the finish line at that marathon, you won't forget how you ended up helping one another. The great human capacity to love when love is needed. There are some stories that won't stop being told. I buried a businessman who was working in the World Trade Center on 9-11. Witnesses say he stayed behind to help people get down the stairs. He was one of the nearly 3,000 that disintegrated in the rubble. He was the father of two toddlers. And for those two toddlers, the history of 9-11 will be whittled down to the story of their father. They will remember even little about him except that he stayed behind to help. There are some stories that won't stop being told. Thornton Wilder in his great novel, The Bridge of San Luis Rey, writes about a terrible bridge collapse in Peru and the loss of five people who so happened to be on the bridge when it collapsed. And the narrator of the story is a character who goes in search of the stories of the five people and what it was that led them to be on that bridge that fateful day. And he discovers that each of them was either on their way to or from somebody they had loved. Love was what bound them. And as Wilder explains, love is what binds them to those who remember them. He ends the story by saying, soon we shall die. The memory of those five will have left the earth and we ourselves shall be loved for a while and forgotten. But the love will be enough. All the impulses of love return to the one who made them. There is a land of the living and a land of the dead, and the bridge is love, the only survival, the only meaning. It's a profound truth, isn't it, that if what the apostle says is right, that God is love, then maybe the only thing that we can expect to remain from this world is the love we know from God. Cities come and go, nations come and go, even records of tragedy and crisis come and go. Boston and West Texas will someday go, left to the ruins of time, but it is love that remains. The impulses of love return to the love that made them. C.S. Lewis wrote once that nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, 
marry, snub, and exploit. On our recent trip last fall to Israel and Palestine, with just about every stop we made to the biblical sites, we found that in most cases we were not standing where the Bible characters once stood. We were standing instead upon the layers of civilization that had been built on top of the places where the biblical characters once stood. 20th century office buildings on top of first century Roman fortresses and Jewish synagogues. One strata of life on top of another. So why were we there? Why were we there at these places that really didn't exist 2,000 years ago? Because of the stories. It wasn't the buildings and the streets that mattered. It was the stories. And the stories were a part of the great story of God's great love. Nowhere did I have a sense of these things than when we visited the little town of Jaffa, a port city on the Mediterranean coast. Jaffa is a suburb of Tel Aviv, dwarfed by this modern capital city. And Jaffa itself is a modern 20th century town that has left behind no sign of its biblical story, including even its name. For Jaffa is the old Jaffa that scripture tells us about, but to walk through Jaffa, Jaffa is to have no idea that the ancient Jaffa ever existed, that anything of biblical or historical import had ever occurred there. And yet it is in Jaffa, the Bible tells us, that there are stories still to be told. Stories still to be told. And the first is the story of Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah the prophet who hears the call of God to, to go and to preach to the wicked city of Nineveh. God wants to redeem Nineveh. God wants to heal the people of Nineveh. And he wants Jonah to preach the good news of love and healing to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah decides to run from the call of God and goes to Joppa where he grabs the first ship west. God wants to heal a city in the east, but Jonah doesn't want any part of that. The Ninevites are just too wicked to to be healed. So Joppa is where Jonah decides to, to get away from God's mission. Jonah has to learn the hard way that he couldn't be any more mistaken. God's grace and healing has no bounds, and Nineveh is brought eventually into the loving embrace of God. That's the first story of Joppa, the first story inside of God's great story of love. The second story of Joppa, the one I just read to you, is about a woman named Tabitha, a disciple of Jesus, devoted to good works and charity, yet immune like we all are to illness. She becomes sick and dies. A bad thing has happened to a good person. She dies. And you know when you're dead, you're dead. Nothing God can do about that. Not so fast, says the Apostle Peter, who goes to her bedside and claims the office of healing and by the mystery and power of the Spirit invokes the same healing God who wanted once to heal the city of Nineveh, invokes the same healing God and heals a dead woman, raises Tabitha to life. God's healing, this Apostle learns, has no bounds. That's the second story of Joppa. 
And then comes the third story of Joppa. On the heels of Tabitha's rising, there comes for Peter a vision, and the vision is a vision that tells him that the love of God, the grace of God, the healing of God is meant not just simply for his Jewish brothers and sisters, but that the love and grace and healing of God is meant now for, for all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles alike. And so unlike the story of Jonah, Peter takes the bold step and departs from Joppa, not to run from the call of God to those that, he, that were once far from him, but to pursue the call of God to love those once far from him. That's the third story of Joppa. Three stories buried under the rubble of 20 centuries with no visible sign, and yet there is no trace, is there? Visibly. Joppa has even changed its name. Building has been put upon building, civilization upon civilization, but somehow the stories of God's boundless love, limitless love and healing remain. The healing of a world, the healing of a city, the healing of a woman. We still tell those stories today, 20, maybe 30 centuries later. We still tell the stories today. Is it to suggest that if there is anything in eternal in this world, it is found where God's healing love occurs? Let me tell you a story. It happened on the day of my graduation from college. Now, if there is a day, the events of which you would likely remember fully and in detail, it should be the day of your graduation. The culmination of four years of hard school, the hard, you know, hard school for me, that's the truth. <coughs> <laughs> the achievement of a great milestone. I'm guessing, though, that few of us can remember much about our graduation days. I bet you can't even remember who spoke at your graduation. I can't. And yet, there is one moment on my graduation day I will never forget. A couple of days before graduation, a few of us, soon to be graduates, had decided to drive down to Pittsburgh to see the Pittsburgh Pirates play. And we had invited to go with us a fellow by the name of Chuck Donnelly, who was the custodian for the dormitory where we lived. Chuck had become a good friend to all of us, sort of like a dad away from home. Chuck himself was a grandfather. We told him to invite along with him his seven-year-old grandson to join us for this baseball game. We arranged a time when we would go and pick up Chuck and his grandson at their home to head down for the game. Well, all these things we thought were perfectly put together, but you know how college students are. They all fell apart. All the plans kind of fell through and fewer and fewer people could go and at the end of the day, we bagged the trip. And it was my responsibility to pick up the phone and call Chuck. But I didn't. I forgot. And there Chuck sat at home with his eagerly awaiting grandson and nobody showed up. And the grandson was crushed. The next day, the day before graduation, I ran into Chuck on the campus and he laid into me. He ripped me up one side and down the other. 
very justifiably, he questioned whether I had learned anything decent in my four years of education. <laughs> I never felt so small in my life. And after Chuck let loose his last invective toward me, we turned away from each other and walked away. And I realized that that was the last time I was going to see him. I was graduating the next day. It was my big day. And that would be it. So the next day came and we graduated and we hugged our friends and we made our way to our rooms and we packed up our last things and we got ready to leave. That was pretty much all I can remember about my commencement. All the rest of it is lost to the sands of time except for my little story. For as I'm packing my last few things, who knocks on the door but Chuck? And in his hands, a graduation gift and in his eyes, crocodile tears. He said, I couldn't live with myself if those were the last words you'd ever heard from me. I will miss you like a son, and whatever happened, I have already forgotten. That campus will someday cease, buried under time, buildings to dust, but the story, the story will remain. So to think about the mission and purpose of the church, might we be good to consider that whatever we do, whatever we occupy our time and talent and treasure with, whatever energy we may give over to meetings and programs and activities and committees and budgets, whatever conversation and debate we might have about what is right and what is wrong, whatever temptation we might have to judge this person or that person or this nation or that nation or this culture or that culture, might we be good to remember that there may be little of what we do with any of that that will be remembered other than the stories of God's healing love. Other than when we pursued the call of God to bring healing healing love into the lives of other people. There will come the day when the Church of the Palms with all its beautiful buildings will fall prey to the march of time. Strata upon strata, stained glass windows and marble tables will fall buried under rubble. And only the stories will remain when the hungry one came and we gave him food, when the thirsty one came and we gave her drink, when the stranger walked in and we welcomed him, when the naked one appeared and we clothed him, when we heard of the sick one and we ministered to her, when we learned of the prisoner and we visited him. These will be the stories that will stand the test of time. In the wake of the bombings in Boston, many people took notice of the instinctive response of those near the finish line, who after being shook by the per per percussive blast of the explosion, turned and ran. But they ran not away from the blast, they ran to it. They ran to the people who had been struck. 
In light of this, almost immediately after the Boston bombings, there were shared on social media pages a quote of Fred Rogers, the Presbyterian minister and host of the famous children's program, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, who once said, when I was a little boy and something bad happened in the news, my mother would tell me to look for the helpers. You will always find people helping, she'd say. And I found that's true, said Mr. Rogers. In fact, he continued, it's one of the best things about our wonderful world. It's not just the best thing about our wonderful world. It is the only thing that will remain. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.